Hey there, and thank you for tuning in to the Occlusal Table. I'm one of your hosts, Taylor Jackson. And it's your girl, Jasmine Clyde. And today we have the pleasure of having dentists on our panel to discuss their experiences, their journey to their specialty, and taking a deeper look into residency. Let's get started. Dr. Jermaine Nelson is from Jackson, Mississippi. He went to Jackson State University for his undergraduate degree in physics and graduated from the University of Mississippi Medical Center with a master's in biomedical sciences where he attended dental school. Upon graduation, he completed an AEGD residency at UMMC before entering his periodontics residency at UT Houston Health and Science Center. He is currently in a second year and he also works in private practice. And we also have Dr. Tamara Morris, who who was raised in Houston, Texas, and attended the University of Michigan Ann Arbor, where she obtained a Bachelor of Science degree in psychology. She went on to attend dental school at the University of Detroit Mercy School of Dentistry. And upon completion of dental school in 2006, she fulfilled her obligation to treat the underserved population as a National Health Service Corp scholarship recipient. After practicing for five years as a general dentist practitioner, practitioner, she relocated to Detroit to fulfill her dreams and feed her passion to become a periodontist. In September of 2014, she returned home to Houston, Texas, and that's where Dr. Morris now practices as a traveling periodontist in the Houston area um, with general dental practices. She is also a hashtag mom boss of three awesome kiddos, which keeps her on her toes. Let's give it up for our guests. Yes, yes. Thank you all for being here today. And our first question is, when did you uh, choose to pursue periodontics and why? And we can start with Dr. Morris. Okay. um, I practiced as a general dentist for five years. And during that time, you know, working in community health, all right, and I really love like the foundation, the perio part, and I loved it in dental school as well. And so I decided to drop everything, move from Chicago, and um, become a periodontist. And I like that specialty also because it's, uh, like I said, it works with the foundation, okay? Um, I think that it's broad because there's also implant dentistry, that's a huge part of it as well. And I was a little turned away from oral surgery because I wanted to do more micro surgeries, not so much macro, putting the face back together, resectioning the jaw and, you know, everything like that. So I kind of found just my niche. And what about you, Dr. Nelson? Why did you choose to become a periodontist? Um, I guess my route was kind of similar. Um, I enjoy all aspects of dentistry. Um, my school is a lot more, well, University of Mississippi is very surgical inclined because we do not have all the residencies the other schools have. All we have is oral surgery and peds. So everything else comes down to the dental students. So we got a lot of experience in doing our own periodontal um, procedures. Um, we had a very tough periodontal course um, at our school that kind of held a lot of people back if you went on top. Um, but the experience that I had in school, uh, I fell in love with perio, uh, fell in love with surgery. Um, so it was between oral surgery and perio for me. But <laughs> I guess the lifestyle was 
was the big issue with me as far as residency was concerned. I didn't want to um, go for four or six years after I did all this other schooling. And I wanted to come home by at least five every day. Well, today, six, but <laughs> but it's still a lot better than our oral surgery counterparts. And I do love to see my patients um, as they progress in their um, health. Absolutely. And that's real rewarding, right? So then even um, if you could talk more about uh, what residency is like um, and what the process is like to get there, uh, even throw in some experiences, uh, <laughs> um, if you like. Uh, I'll speak on it. So um, I'm not sure. That's kind of like a loaded question. Um, But um, I'll start off by how uh, the process it takes to get there, um, since I didn't do that not too long ago. Um, But the process is um, typically within your second or third year, you like to figure out and decide what type of residency you want to go to. Um, I did externships at several different schools. I went to um, uh, LSU. Um, I went to University of Tennessee. Uh, I went to um, Portland, um, and I also went to UT here, where I'm at now, to kind of see what the programs were like, um, let them get a good look at my face and figure out who I am as a person. That was a big deal with it. And the residents also got to know me as well during that three to five days that I was there, depending on where I went. And um, so building a relationship was a big part of kind of getting into residency. Also, um, kind of doing your own research. Um, I, coming from school I came from, I was pretty confident in my periodontal knowledge. Um, so me speaking with them on a, on a level that, you know, that showed interest was a big deal. Um, also remaining kind of relevant within your class. Like you don't have to be, you know, number one or top 10 in your class in order to get into a residency, but you do need to be well-rounded if you're not in the top 10. Um, I think doing research is, uh, is a great aspect of uh, being an undergraduate student in dentistry. Um, that will put you pretty high on the list because most of these residents are somebody to um, get a master's degree along with their um, specialty certificate. But my, I'll say my experience in residency at UT has been great. Um, our, our program has a lot of different professors from across the world which um, gives a a great depth to the amount of procedures we're able to do. Um, We do get our sedation credit, which is very big to me. Um, Well, IB sedation credit. Um, And see, our procedures are are very thorough, and we work with PROS, so we get to do a lot of the big cases. Um, So that's been pretty much my experience with with my residency so far, and I and I love my residents. I really do. My co-residents, they're like family now. So, all right, and my route. Okay, so my right, my route was a little bit uh, non-traditional, so to speak. I um, decided after about three years of being out of dental school that I wanted to go back for residency. But, you know, it was a big decision to make um, because I would pretty much be leaving my life in Chicago and moving back to Detroit where I finished dental school. And I was like, you know, I was doing mentoring with uh, with other periodontists in the area. And then there was a CE course and uh, with the director. And I saw the director was hosting the course, paid for the course, went to the course and was very, very clear about how I wanted to be a periodontist. And I was ready to do whatever, you know, it took to get to that point. And they 
offered me a uh, interview. Uh, so I went back to Chicago and then we got ready for my interview, came back, had the day long interview with everyone. And, and they just happened to have a seat available. I think someone had, had decided not to come and they offered me the seat and I took it and I went back and put in my three month notice and left my, uh, apartment on the 13th floor, downtown Chicago to go to residency. Be a periodontist. <laughs> so, um, but residency for me, um, you know, I feel like, you know, I try to stay open with learning. And so some of the instructors were a little concerned if I was going to be teachable. But I knew that was the whole reason that I went that route instead of, you know, going out of the country or going to um, a long implant course. So they knew I wanted to be there for that reason. And I wanted that foundation. I wanted to know the research. Uh, I wanted to be able to support what I was doing, not just by what an instructor told me, but from the research that I looked up myself and decisions that I was able to formulate myself from my education. Um, so I really, really appreciate, you know, my attendings for that, my co-residents for that. Uh, many of my attendings, Dr. Bola, who was the director, uh, Dr. Uh, Kohadkar, um, my now um, mentor, Dr. Anthony Neely, um, they were amazing. Um, two of those, uh, three of those instructors were, came out of Indiana. Indiana has a very strong program and they were tough on us, like really, really tough, but it made us stronger and made us remember and be able to support what we did. And so that's what I went for. So. I wouldn't have traded for the world, and there you go. Here I am. That's right. I think we're all looking for that tough love because if you know if you do something wrong, then you learn from that experience. You might get scolded a little bit, but you definitely will never do it again, right? And what a professor say here, you each one teach one. Once you learn something, you teach someone else, and then that's how you remember it. So um, transitioning into business, um, would you all suggest? DSOs, a sole private practice office on your own, or associateships? Okay, you want me to go first? Yeah, you have a little bit more experience on that. I'm, I'm pretty much limited, but I can speak about it after you. I'll just piggyback. Okay, okay. All right. Um, okay, so I feel like all three, all right? When I um, left residency i had been out of dental school for eight years so i just shot out there and was like i'm moving back to houston i'm fun if i build a practice like it'll be easy you know and i built my own like beautiful practice that with all the decor and everything that i wanted um but did not really have the business side there like i knew what i wanted i knew what the goal was but when it came to how I was going to get someone in the chair, the marketing, um, the financing aspect, and also my connections. Like I went to school in, in the Midwest. I didn't go to school down here. So I didn't really know anyone yet that was a dentist. I only knew my family that was here. So it was a very slow start. But what I was very grateful for is that I did have a crash course in being a business owner um, of a solo brick and mortar practice. Um, now, when I was in Chicago, I had a practice as well, servicing little kids, a mobile practice, but it was nothing like this. And 
when I was here, probably about uh, right when I got down here, I was able to land a job at a DSO. And I was rotating through about eight to 10 offices a month. And I was also working in my private office as well. And so I learned a lot at the DSO and I learned about business and I learned why they were succeeding and why I was having such a slow start. And um, that taught me a lot of like on the job training, like right then and there. Okay. When it comes to the business side, Um, I also got to learn about different doctors' personalities and being on the spot with different doctors and, you know, being there as a support system for them as well. And a lot of them were new grads. So they, they did require a lot of like attention uh, when it came to treatment planning and everything. So I say a mixture of both. Um, If I did it again, I would not jump out of residency and start a practice from scratch in a city that I haven't lived in for 15 years. I would have, you know, gone down and got the lay of the land, got a sense of the market. And this is a very, Houston is a very big corporate dentistry driven um, market. So it's, you know, it. I think like any dentist that comes down here should at least go through going through a DSO as an associate. Now, whether you decide that that is your path, you know, that's on you. And um, working private practice when you are, you get your hand skills up, you get the CE courses that they're going to pay for. Um, you learn about the business side of it. You learn about kind of the, the black and white, the cut dry business aspect of running a dental practice and how it becomes successful and stays successful. Then you move on to your private practice. And that's where, you know, you hone in on more skills. You, you know, go to more CE courses, keep it going. And so, and hopefully you'll end up and you decide to do ownership and, you know, acquire a practice. So that's what, you know, from my perspective, what I think. So answer to your question is all three, okay, but... In, in order, in order, in order. And um, one other good thing about, you know, starting off, you know, after you go to your GPR and your AEGD, which I strongly recommend as well, that you go ahead and you um, go to the DSOs. Like I said, you're going to get more continuing education. You're going to get faster. And you know, you're not going to be the perfect dentist when you come out. So it's, it's a great place to kind of hone in on those skills. Okay. So I'm going to do what I said and I'm about to piggyback very hard. Okay. So, (laughs) (laughs) so, um, basically she has a lot more experience than I do out in private practice, but I have been working private practice ever since I graduated back in 2018. Um, so through all my residencies, I've been working part time as a private practice um, dentist. Um, I've worked for DSOs. I work for DSOs now. I work for private practices as well, kind of as like a super GP because I do everything. I do molar endo. I I do endo like an endodontist now. Like I do plenty of those. But um, but basically, like she said, the DSOs are definitely something I never thought about coming from Mississippi because we don't have a lot of corporates. We're still ruled by private practice. So in my mind, everybody should like just go get your private practice. But here in Texas, as she said, 
no, you probably don't want to do that here. It's so saturated with with the practitioners here. And a dentist is basically an employee here. I mean, that's basically been my experience. I have not seen too many private practice dentists doing well off with all these other corporates, unless you have a, a niche or a base that you come from that can make you successful here. But Houston is humongous. It's what, the third largest city in the country now? Um, but so, I mean, if you find your niche here, you definitely can do well, um, but it's going to be hard for you to find your niche here because it's just so many places to go. Um, um, so I can say personally, Mississippi-wise, private practice is definitely the way to go. Um, we're trying to keep corporates out of Mississippi, but they're going to come. Like, I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> they're they're going to break through at some point to the, to, to the point where if we don't start up something soon, then we're going to have trouble like she did coming in trying to um, have her own practice without a base. Um, but I definitely agree with everything she said 100%. Um, but it, well, actually, there's no but. I'm just I'm happy that I started off like kind of like I, I made it to DSO market here. I learned a lot business wise. So now when I go back and build my practice, I have a lot more knowledge of how to run the business, how to market, how to hire a certain team that works, especially for um, the way people think. I learned the way people think and what they like, because you see certain um, DSOs do better than others. You wonder why. So then once you go in and you work for them, you, you find out why. Because it's a lot of shady stuff going on in the ones people don't like. I, but you need to know that because, like, that's – it's very real world real fast. And you just – and that's why you take it on the chin and you're like, okay, this is a learning – this is a learning moment. Um, and, you know, keep going. But I really, really do like, Doc, that you're staying um, – well, well vast and you know you you say a super gp but that is where you know our profession is going especially as periodontists and i would not have not done my path but i do like how you're diversifying um the different types of treatment that you're just not oh i'm perio and i don't see anything else and you know in the where i'm from that's pretty much the mentality it's like i'm perio I don't see anything, you know, I'm perio, I'm perio, I'm perio. And that's not the world that is down here in Houston, Texas. It's just, it's really like, you kind of do have to be like, you don't have to, right? But I'm interested in being, you know, learning more about endo. And um, I started restoring my own implant crowns and, restoring my own crowns and doing, you know, composite restoration. So, but still love my perio, can talk perio. And when I initially see a patient, yeah, you know, like the perio is there, we got to treat it before we do anything else. So I think it just made me like a stronger clinician just overall with diagnosing. For sure. Um, and, like, and like you said, AGDs, GPRs, I highly recommend. Um, highly. My, my AGD got my confidence up. Um, even though I, I felt I was confident, like I was like, oh, I'm about to go out and kill it, blah, blah, blah. And then when I, <laughs> when I actually got myself into some situations, cause I'm a, I'm a bit of a adventurous type of practitioner. Like if I, if I know the theories of it, I feel like my hands are good enough. I'll try it. Um, so it was a good experience to be able to do that under an umbrella. 
Um, not saying that I got myself into any trouble doing any things, but you you would like to have that there and and learn different ways of doing things, even if you think your way is right. Because once you get out in private practice, you might get into somebody's practice that they don't have what you learned with. So you need to be able to reach around with whatever you got, be, become a MacGyver. Um, our school is old compared to um, uh, UT here. UT school is brand spanking new, like 2014 new. Our school's built in like 1970-something. So, I mean, like when we did endo, we didn't use any rotary. Like we learned like the regular hand files, lateral condensing. Uh, and and that's the type of mindset that I have, though. It helped me out. It made me stronger. So when I get out in private practice and things happen, we don't have stuff. I'm like, oh, don't worry about it. I'll figure it out. And then we end up figuring out something that's actually decent for the patient. It might not be the best. You let the patient know that. But I'm more well-rounded now. And as she said, I restore my own implants. In my in my AGD, you know, I was adventurous enough to try an all on four. I did the very first all on four at our school with um, with AGD, and I restored it myself. So I mean, I have the knowledge coming out two years, and these people are like, "How do you know how to do all this?" I was like, "Well, I mean, I I try to learn. You know, I work hard, but I try to learn what I'm doing, and so I can put it to work." And uh, and and that's and that's the route where Perio is going. She's absolutely right. Uh, we're not just the, you know, the plastic surgeons anymore. We have to learn how to at least temporize our implants because the market is leaning towards everybody restoring them, everybody trying to place them. But what gives us the advantage is not only do we know how to do all that, you know, to the highest ability, we also see some certain things that they don't see because of our training. And also now that the fact that we work with a lot of prosthodontists, we can see the correct way or study the correct way on how to restore and keep the patients comfortable. Um, meanwhile, so we can keep a lot of things in house now, and that's the way it's going. I would have, uh, you know, back in residency, I would have never thought like going into residency. I was like, you know, I've always loved dentures, um, but I was like, oh man, it's gonna be my last denture. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was not. You know, it's my last feeling. Nope. No, it's not. And it's okay. It's not that bad. You know, like actually knowing what I know now about the foundation, I do feel like I can really, really offer something to my patients and then I can really, really offer something to my uh, referring doctors because they need, they need help and guidance as well. And how we're trained is that they are the quarterback of the patient and you know, they're supposed to deliver you a restorative treatment plan um, that's thorough with the, you know, with the referral. And that's just not how, you know, the real world is, you know, and everybody is where we have to work and collaborate as a team a lot. And the only way that you can be a true team member is if you extend your knowledge and you know, Pros, then you, you, you know, perioendo lesions and, and, root fractures and, you know, know how to read the cone beam. So um, we just have to be really, really well-rounded, which, which is great. I think it's great. Absolutely. These are amazing gems that you all are giving us. We appreciate it so much. And um, sticking on the business side of things, what type of business or financial advice would you have given your younger self? I know we, I just learned so much more about DSOs because I was never thinking about, going into a DSO, um, same after here, a GPR, same here, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what kind of advice would you have given your younger self? 
I'll go first because I don't really have too much to say. <laughs> but but what I what I can tell myself, because y'all are still in school and you hear everything that these golden age doctors are talking about. Golden age has been over for them. Like general dentists are not making that kind of money anymore unless you own your own practice. Like you yeah. you all are looking more into like a a quick future of going straight into a DSO in order to, you know, kind of like lift the burden off of you. Um, it's a good way, like she said, to like, like we all say to build speed, build confidence, like you're going to need that. Um, but on the other hand, if you're looking to kind of come out with your practice, you're going to get destroyed. Like, especially in this environment here in Houston, just, just be mindful where you're at. And Mississippi, again, it's, it's different. Like if I would have came out, built my own practice, yeah, it would have been a little slow, but my whole base is there. I was born and raised there. I know thousands of people. I probably would have been okay. But here, like, just know your environment, know what you work around, know what's going on. Um, do your research. Um, get a great financial advisor, um, a financial lawyer, if need be, um, that can read contracts well. Or you learn how to read contracts. Do your own research on the business. Ask questions because you can you can sign some terrible contracts. I haven't been out long. I've worked at nine different offices. Nine. And I can tell you, do not ever do a shake hands agreement. Don't ever do that. Get it done in writing. And this has happened between me and my frat brothers or, I mean, real close frat brothers, friends, brothers, whatever you want to call them, that things just did not work out. And it was just a handshake agreement. And it's like, wow, just leave me hanging dry. You know what I mean? So you don't ever want that to happen to you. So get everything in writing. First and foremost. <laughs> so I'm going to let her finish up now because I'm pretty sure she's going to just kill it. So, <laughs> No, I mean, he's totally right about getting things in writing. I mean, I've been out a long time and really my, my staff are, I still hide. Like, so they're like, doc, we have the contract, you know, to present to Dr. X. And I'm like, okay, go ahead and do it. I'm going, I'm going in the other room, you know? So it's just like, um, it's daunting. It's a little uncomfortable, but it protects you. And you have to really, really put forth that it's protecting the doctor that you're working for too. And um, it's absolutely necessary to outline, you know, the expectations because that's where like the disappointments come. Um, business self. Oh, I would have started back when I was at Michigan. Go blue. Um, to take at least a business course, um, either intro into business, um, something. But if you're out of undergrad, I think even during this time, like an online, you know, um, business course path, maybe something that involves marketing, uh, finance, a little bit of business law. Okay. Um, especially the marketing and the finance aspect, because you're right. You want to have a lawyer in your team. Um, they're really, really expensive though. Okay. Uh, you want to have an accountant on your team. I have an amazing accountant. Um, that, that person has to be someone that knows all of, kind of knows all your secrets a little bit. So it has to be someone that you can trust. And so I don't trust, you know, those, those big, accounting firms and those big buildings and you know I need someone who can sit down and talk to me like look Dr. Morris this is about to happen or you know duh, 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 duh. I need someone that is gonna 
really, really, you know, educate me at the same time. And like I said, someone that I can really trust. And my accountant, his name is uh, Antonio Morrison. And I really, really appreciate him, you know, all in all. Um, upon graduating dental school and, and, and residency and entering your first job, uh, an accountant should be there. And they can also help you with uh, your contract and negotiation of your contract as well. Um, loan debt, uh, debt to income ratio. Um, when I left dental school, when I left residency, excuse me, I, I took my, you know, I took my talents to opening up a private practice and I did that instead of buying a home and debt to ratio is very high coming out of graduate school. So that makes it tougher to get loans for homes, but there are loans out there that are for homes and they're doctor loans, quote, doctor loans. And so when you are ready to buy your first home, there are loans that kind of look past the uh, debt to income ratio, but let's try to keep that down. So when you're in residency and things get really, really expensive, um, do your best to, you know, take care of your own expenses Anything that you can do so you don't have to take out more debt. Um, my program was private, okay? And I, I told the ladies, you know, how everything went with my program and how I went and, you know, it was fair. And I told my director what I wanted to do, but I didn't think about the financial aspect. And so even though I didn't go through match. I think if I would have went that route, that I would have seen from a financial aspect how much I would have to take out loans here versus here and what the financial would be upon, you know, graduation and how much debt I would incur. So because that that sticks for a long time. So so what I said a lot. So what was that? Get an accountant, help with your contracts a marketing online course, finance online course, um, keep your debt to in, or keep your debt as low as possible. So you're, so you'll have, you know, your debt to income ratio would be at a good point. So when you're ready to buy a home, buy property, you may want to buy the land that you're going to build your practice on. So keep that there. And, um, you make money with your hands, you know, like at the end of the day, you know, financially it's like, you go out and produce as much as you can. That's it. I, I did want to piggyback on the um, the last part that she said, for sure. So as soon as I graduated from um, dental school, I bought a home. Um, I went to um, uh, Mississippi, of course, and it's not an expensive school. And that was the number one reason why I wanted to go there to kind of keep up with the debt. Okay. So when I got out of University of Mississippi, it was like, I was probably like 225K in debt. And then when I got the home, I bought a home um, because like she said, I used my doctor's loan. I didn't have to put anything down on the house. Um, and I ended up getting a really nice home, me and my wife. Well, my now wife, we just got married a couple months ago. But um, we bought the home, but it was just off of my doctor's loan. And um, so it was pretty cool to do that. Um, so I don't have to worry about that when I moved back home, got pretty decent size. And then, well, before that, I you actually want to, uh, like she said, your hands are what you need to make your money, get them insured, 
you need disability insurance and you and at your age you need to go ahead and get life insurance like all that stuff needs to come first before you start getting into this major debt you need to figure out what you're going to be paying the month before those student loans kick in and get it while you're young because the older you get the prices is just going to exponentially grow um i don't know the prices for you know women yet but i know for me as a male like as soon as i turn 30 like our prices completely change like every year after 30 our our numbers just start to skyrocket so i i got when i was 30 because and also what you need to know is it's just not your whole year 30 once you're 30 and a half they consider you 31 years old so know that they work by half years so if you're 29 and six months they consider you a 30 year old when they check your um your um, medical insurance or, or not medical insurance, life insurance and things, those plans and try to get plans that actually make you money long term. OK, so you're going to be making a ton of money as a doctor. OK, and as a specialist, you're kind of in like another tax bracket, depending on where you're at. I mean, some it depends on how aggressive you are. I'll put it that way. But you want to start while you're young to put your money in the right places because you don't want to be working till you're 75 years old. Okay, nobody does. I don't plan on it. I plan on retiring about around 50, 55 with some of the ideas I have in my head. Okay, and if I want to work, I'm gonna have fun. <laughs> so, <laughs> so those are some, some, some super pearls. Make sure you take care of yourself first and your family, okay? Because those type of things, if you pass away, if you get hurt, if I get in a car accident or if I slip and fall at home, if I, if I break a fingernail and I say I can't work, I'm getting paid. OK, and and you need to look at the certain plans that they have. You want to find some of the disability plans that have partial plans in them. So if you can't work for two weeks, you tell me you can't work for two weeks, they'll supplement you for that two weeks until you go back to work. Some of them don't do that. All of them don't do that. It's maybe like three or four major companies that can do that. But you need to ask around. Don't get, you know, super um, bubbly over the first person that comes and talks, you know, nice to you and things like that. You got to shop around. I'm pretty sure y'all have had like plenty of people coming out of school talk oh we got the best this we got the best that and then you turn around look at your teachers and they're asking them about the research and they're making them look stupid <laughs> you know uh, so i mean you gotta you gotta kind of um learn from the people head it doesn't hurt to ask at all you know i ask people all the time before i make any of my steps to people who've, who've been successful for years you know what I mean? They'll tell you, they'll be like, hey, this is not going to work for you. I did this. It's not going to work for you in this day and age. You may want to go this route. And you're taught the old way because that's what those teachers know. Okay. And they try to keep up. Don't get me wrong. Um, they're not trying to teach you the wrong information on purpose. But, you know, things change so fast out in the real world. So, so just make sure you take care of yourself. Insurance, disability insurance, um, life insurance, and start finding a way to put your money up to start building wealth later for your family because you don't want to, all that debt to roll over to anybody, okay? And you want to make sure you're okay and you're not, you're not working till you, you know, till you die, you know? Because we know those teachers that, you know, that, that, don't, that can't even retire and come back to school. And then as soon as they retire at like 79 years old, six months later, <laughs> they pass away. <laughs> I know you don't want that for your life. I don't want that for my, I work way too hard for that. You know, so that's a business mindset that we see from our counterparts that we don't know about. And and not only that, you don't. I'm sorry, my dog is over here biting my hand. <laughs> um, but um, but know that your business is a business. It's what you do. You love what you do, but you need to make money. And there are a lot of tax breaks and where you put your money that your business makes. OK, um, you don't want your own name 
or your own social security number tied to your practicing. Okay, so you want to create an LLC. If you're making pretty good money out in private practice, even part time, you want to create an LLC. So if somebody sues you, they're suing the company and not you. They can't take your money. Okay, so that's one big thing I just did like six months ago to kind of like make sure that nobody could get to me and, and my personal funds. Okay, because I have too much to lose. Okay, and y'all do too. Um, so that's something else. Um, yep, you're absolutely right about the LLC. Yeah, like it, you can like start it out. It, it can just be your name, you know, and you know if you don't have an exact name for your business, but the moment you're done with residency and you start working as an independent contractor, um, and that comes along with you know having a good accountant and good direction from there. But the thing is. I don't know. You sound like you had great people like around you uh, that helped. I got lucky. (laughs) That was like, like I didn't, I didn't really have a a lot. Like I was my, I was the first graduate, definitely the first doctor. And like the the family I come from, we kind of wing it. We're dreamers, you know, and I just didn't have like that foundation. So I was like, I'm still like learning, you know, I was learning, learning, learning as I go and hitting my head along the way. Um, but you know, it kept life exciting. <laughs> I really but, got lucky. I bumped my head into people um, and, fig- and kind of figured it out. I asked them what that, what they did. And then actually some of my friends that's in residency, we're figuring it out together. So whatever information they learn, they tell me and whatever information I learn, I tell them. So we kind of been growing in our generation because same, my parents um, didn't know a lot about any type of business things. You know, we was lower middle class. Um, so, you know, I basically had to figure things out just by talking to people. And I'm going to ask I ask it. You got it. And you don't, you don't know unless you ask. And that's what you have to do and get people around you that, that share you know, and that are, and that are honest about, you know, what's going on and having, you know, study groups, masterminds, all of those things. And I, I think it's also good that you're working during residency. So when you graduate, your head isn't in the clouds, like, you know, about how things really are on, on the ground, on the, on the ground. Like it's completely different than being, um, in, cause you're so protected when you're in school, you know, and when you're out in the field, it's it's really different. It's really really different. It's a lot more layers. So that's really good that you're working. We we weren't allowed to work, and I'm not good at keeping secrets when it comes to like stuff. Like oh, you know, I was I, it would have slipped, and I would have been in trouble. So it's like we weren't allowed to work, and um, if my director found out, then I can only imagine the gasket that he would have blown. Um, so. I didn't do that, but that is great that you have an opportunity to do that. Yeah. So luckily the, our director actually left after six months when we got in, she was like super laid back, super cool. You may have heard of Dr. Weltman, Robin Weltman. Mm-hmm. So she was our director when we first got here and I thought she was going to be here the whole time. I did not know she was retired. But anyway, one of the other dentists came from, uh, well, our new director came from Boston U and they do not believe in, um, in uh-huh. moving. So that's another thing y'all need to look at when y'all picking a residency. If you know you need to work, look at a residency that allows moonlight. Don't ask the director because technically they're supposed to say no. 
talk to the residents. The residents <laughs> will tell you like, hey, man, look, I work a few Saturdays a month over here. You know, as long as you keep everything together, nobody cares. And knowing me, I took that to a whole new level. I work seven days a week. Not in private practice, but I go to residency from Monday through Friday, and I work Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I go back to residency. And I've been doing this for about a year. But I had a wedding to pay for, so that was kind of different. <laughs> but uh, but I still work, you know, all week. And um, But my director hates it. Like, and because he already knew, because like when he comes up and says like things that are just off the wall, I'm like, mm, can't do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but at this point, <laughs> I'm in my, I'm in the middle of my second year, you know, and I'm, all my grades are fine. He says it. As long as you're keeping up with what you do, you're a hustler, you know, take care of all your surgeries, take care of all your patients, take care of all your didactic work. What can they say? You have to pay your bills, right? I was like, look, if I don't do this, be out on the street. So, I mean... It's not necessarily wrong to do it, but it's like a stigma on it as far as moonlighting as a resident. Most schools don't like that. So just be weary of it. Don't talk to the director about it. Just talk to the residents. <laughs> FYI. Absolutely. Yeah, that's something that we definitely keep hearing is, uh, you know, the pros and cons of moonlighting and everything. Um, man, I learned so much about business and finance. I, I didn't think it would take that much of a turn, but I, I appreciate all of that. Thank you, because it opened my eyes up to things that I definitely wasn't um, considering in the past. Uh, but even going from, you know, the business side of things, looking at, you know, the procedures in the clinic and everything, um, you know, we know that implants are a huge topic in society. Uh, so what are the pros and cons um, relating to this type of procedure um, or even some misconceptions out there? Uh, what do you both believe is the future of dental implants? Pros and cons of implants. Implants are great. They um, replace the, you know, the natural tooth, you know, that you used to have where you don't have to have a bridge or you're able to floss be able to chew your food without a partial flopping around. Um, and they're awesome. They don't get cavities, okay? Um, but they do get periodontal disease. And um, they do uh, cement themselves or glue themselves directly to the bone structure. So there's no buoyancy with them. There isn't a natural, um, the, the body doesn't have like a natural protector or kind of, don't know how to explain it for the implant okay like it does for a natural tooth so when an implant gets infected it's very drastic and it's very very it moves it can move pretty rapid okay um so it's not a it's not a super tooth it's not a super being okay it still can have you know really big complications also how it kind of dealing with forces how you chew and bite on that you know i know occlusion was a beast. I know you probably hopefully didn't fall asleep in it too much because it can be really tough, but that has a huge impact on implants. So if you're interested in placing implants, then make sure that, you know, get your, get your occlusion down. So um, those are some, uh, a mixture of pros and cons and misconceptions all in one. Um, that is, it's easy. Some people say it's easy. You know, oh yeah, I just, you know, use three drills and drop that implant, spin, 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 and it's in. And it's actually, you know, you're you're kind of working in four dimensions, 
you know, um, if you haven't planned and you just land a flap and just going for what you know, then um, it can lead to some serious complications down the line. Um, and just being knowledgeable about bone density, aggressiveness of the threads of the implant, um, you know, the hand skills that go along with it. So it, it isn't, to me, it isn't very easy, um, but it is very, very rewarding. So if you take your time, you get your education on it, and you work your way, you know, small cases to larger cases or more complex cases, it can be very, very rewarding, like emotionally and like financially too. Um, so I guess I'll talk about kind of like my experience with implants and my, my thought process. So implants are a tool for if you cannot restore to the pro and con well the, i'll start with the con the cons i see with implants at this point working in private practice and in residency right now um is that everybody wants to do them that's a big con like she said some of these um uh practitioners do not have the knowledge to place implants in patients and they're doing them a disservice to when they can't be restored they're placed in like completely the wrong positions where they end up harming adjacent teeth or even causing major infections in some of these patients to where they can lose an eye, they can lose partial parts of their jaw or, you know, sections of their teeth, all kinds of things. So that's a big con, but they think it's so easy. Um, I'm not going to lie. When I left dental school, implants were easy to most of us. We felt like they were easy to most of us. Um, we, but we learned very hard at our school on how to place one. Like, if you got to place, like, two or three of them, you were probably at the top of the class, you know, or or just very well-versed in your patient pool that you can do it. Luckily, I got to place, like, three of them. I was happy with that. But in, in my AGD at the same school, I placed 30 in one year, you know. So, but I learned so much in between time with my, my periodontist kind of over, over my back of my head kind of teach me a little bit more than what we learned in dental school. But I can only imagine with the private practitioners out taking some of these little weekend CE courses and, you know, what they think they can do when they go to Mexico for, you know, two days and drop 50 implants on these patients. A lot of <laughs> <laughs> and they don't really know what they're doing. So that is a big con. Like implants are a big moneymaker and everybody's trying to do it, but they're not qualified. I'm not saying GP should not place them. Or or surgeons shouldn't place them, but the planning process is the difficult part. When you don't understand the restorative part and you're just placing implants, then that's when people get in the problem. A monkey can place an implant. It's not difficult to place an implant in bone. You open it up, you see the bone, it's a screw. Everybody can screw anything down, right? A monkey can do that. But in order, if you're thinking of the, the future of the patient, where is it gonna end? There's a lot of other different things you got to think about. You got to think about how, you know, the, the amount of bone, the type of gingival phenotype. You have to think about the type of surface on the implant. Are these good for that? I mean, it's so many. And now it's hundreds of implant companies and they all do different things. You know what I mean? There are different drills. Now you got drills that can condense the bone when you use it. But can you use that everywhere? Can you use it in a bone graft? I mean, like there's certain, it's so many different things that I know majority of the, um, the general dentists out there just do not know. And they don't care to know as long as they're making money. And they, 
and there's a lot of research being done on the long-term uh, prognosis of these implants or the success rates. And you got to know what success is. When you're reading, you got to know how to read scientific papers. You just got to learn how to do it because you can be reading the paper and they can say, oh, our implants have a 97% success rate. But do you know what success means for them? It can have five millimeters of bone loss, but as long as it's not mobile, it's successful to them in five years. So you got to be able to break down things and learn about the implants to see what is right and what is wrong. But that's only a minute part of about implants. I mean, you got to know about soft tissue. You got to know about patient health. You know, it's systemic issues. How are you going to fix it if it goes wrong? Do, how many do you place and why do you place that many? What angles can you use? The abutments? It, I can go on and on and on. To, to tell myself back in 2018 when I graduated, you don't know anything about implants. You know what I mean? But then when I talk to these dentists that's actually doing them, they knew less than I did graduating from dental school. And that's scary. And that, that's, that's the big part that scares me. And unfortunately, me working as a super GP, they get sent to me to be restored. And probably about 60% of the time I'm telling them, I can't do this. I'm not going to touch that implant. Half of them come back to me with peri-implantitis, like that's moving in their gums. And I was like, uh, you need to go back to your dentist, whoever places implant, and uh, you need to have this redone because this implant is not restorable. You, it shouldn't even be in your head anymore. But I can't touch it, else I'm responsible. It's getting to the point where people get sued. If you restore implant and it goes back, it's your implant now. So now most people who are doing implants need to restore their own implants. I don't touch them most times, unless I know it's done by somebody that's well-versed in the field. Um, but other than that, let's see, future of implants. I think the future of implants is going to be somewhat debatable because I think that the whole crowd of perio, endo, pros is leaning more towards saving teeth again. Um, we're starting to see the long-term effects of implants, which they're great for people who need them. Like, I'm not saying they're bad, but it's still nothing better than your own tooth. If we can save a tooth, we're going to definitely try and save your tooth. Like, it's, it's just necessary. Um, it gives you another option just in case that goes bad. But once you get implants or all, let's think about all on fours. Everybody's like, take all my teeth out, doc. Just give me implants and, and screw it in. <laughs> I'll be like, no. Uh, once we do that, because we need a certain amount of restorative space, um, um, in order to do these things. So it's kind of like mutilation in a sense, like well, you have to resect so much of their bone, but if that goes bad, what are you going to do? You know, where do you go from there? You ain't got nothing left, you know? Um, mind you, cause, um, there are certain levels of what you have to do based upon your, uh, your implant and re restorative plans based upon the age of the patient, how much they have left. You don't have to do that sometimes. Um, but, it's, 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 it's happening all the time. These implants in a day or new smiles in a day, um, it's terrible. <laughs> I hate to say it, uh, but they have great practitioners in those areas, but long-term, they're not looking at it. They're looking at the money. And the money means more to most of these practitioners than anything. And I just love the way periodontists think as far as it comes because it's like we look at the whole picture and it's not necessarily about the implants. So we're going to see all the bad ones. We're going to be the ones it comes to when it when it's jacked up or if it goes into a sinus or all that kind of stuff, you know. And um, 
yeah, it's, it's it's just so much to talk about with implants. Now you now you're seeing zygomatic implants, pterygoid implants. Um, when people are not um, willing to do a sinus lift and things like that, that's starting to become very big. That's I think that's a big future of implants. I think it's uh, great that they somebody figured out a way of doing that and getting some great long term results. Um, personally, I'm very interested in that, and I think I will be incorporating that once I get out of private practice. They won't let us do it in residency, though. They won't let me touch it. They think I'm crazy, <laughs> but I'm definitely going to do those when I'm done for sure. But, um, but yeah, implants are a tool. They're not, they're not, you know, something that can replace a tooth, but it's a tool that we can use to help the patient restore their, their bite. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, it's a, definitely a broad scope when it comes to, uh, looking at implants and how it affects our patients and how we are moving forward. Because just like what was mentioned, you know, sometimes people look at implants as, oh, this is a super tooth. You know, it, this is the cure-all to everything, but that's not exactly the case. Um, but even moving forward into, you know, the current state that we're in, um, as far as this pandemic uh, is concerned, um, how did COVID-19 impact the both of you, uh, both in residency and even um, being a traveling periodontist? Okay, um, well, it gave me some time to think about uh, whether I wanted to keep moving forward in private practice or travel. And um, I sat home because when the world stops, they give you, they gave like great thinking time, time to reflect. And I was like, am I truly fulfilled? Am I truly doing what? I set out to do, which was kind of to have like an exponential impact on on the world of dentistry or our field. And I felt in my practice in Cyprus, where I could go hide in my little cubby hole, I didn't have that impact. And so I think if I was able to get out, be in more dental offices, have more, you know, conversations, more education on the spot, me obtaining and, you know, receiving and giving. Um, because I learn a lot every day that I go out there. I think, you know, I felt like I would be a lot more fulfilled. So over COVID is when I decided to close my practice and take my show on the road. So it impacted me quite a bit because I had to make a really big decision because I could have went either way. And that's the way that I chose. Um, and I've been a lot happier. I am more exposed now, like, I can't go hide in my little, I can, I have administrative space and that's where my team um, is there. So uh, some mobile, some mobile specialists, they just travel with themselves in their bag. They may have an assistant that goes along with them. Um, I have a practice director, an office manager um, and a patient coordinator still. And so my model is a little different, but that uh, I digress, but that's pretty much how COVID impacted me. It gave me time to think about what I truly wanted to do, you know, in the long run. Um, so that's actually very interesting. I actually like that model. It's kind of cool. I've never heard of that one, but it sounds like so right because I mean, you, you, you keeping people around you that you trust and they take care of you. So that's very smart. I'm actually going to write that one down, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, uh, so me being in residency, 
it affected us because I'm actually at a school facility. Um, the school facility actually shut down for like about two and a half months for us. Um, but us being a red, the students didn't come back uh, from like beginning of March all the way till like almost September at, at UT. Um, but for us, we were back in like June. They was like, we're losing money. We need y'all to make money. So they made sure we had the N95 masks. We had like three masks. Like it was crazy. Um, so we had like the gas looking masks and all kinds of stuff. And um, and we were working through, you know, through that in June. But I work private practice. Like I got to pay the bills. So um, I tried applying for um, unemployment just so I could stay away from it. But me being from Mississippi and not being a resident of Texas, it was kind of hard for me to get unemployment. So I decided not to because I was working for an emergency dental place. All right. Everybody else shut down. But the emergency dental place stayed open. Oh, my business went up. Oh, my God. I can't tell you how many masks I was wearing. I was probably wearing like three, four masks. I didn't know what was going on. (laughs) But I stayed working. Like, I made so much money <laughs> during COVID. It was crazy. Um, but <laughs> she's laughing. <laughs> Dr. Moore's laughing. But, uh, Get it. Get it. I was frightened, scared. I was up under my pillow, like, I don't want that COVID. No. <laughs> Your boy was grabbing a pillowcase around his head. Like, I was trying to, I was trying to get this money. Terrifying. <laughs> 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 but thank God I didn't catch anything. Um, I made sure, you know, I, I changed my clothes. Uh, we checked the patient's temperature, things like that, because it was still developing that when nobody really knew what was going on completely. You um, know, I, I made sure to tell my patients to don't drink uh, Lysol and Clorox like the president said. But, um, <laughs> but, um, but, but no, like um, it was, it was good for me for private practice as far as um, working for an emergency dental place. They, they couldn't shut down because we actually could provide first line help um, to the patients that needed it. They didn't have anywhere to go. They were in pain. They had infections. And they was like, I called my dentist 10 times. Nobody picked up the phone. They was like, call 911 or, or go to the emergency room. And and it just kind of like put a big thing in my head, like we need more of these type of offices. So that's something that I learned working for DSO, that something I need to bring back home to Mississippi and something that can actually fill a niche that hasn't been helped in a lot of different states. Um, so that's that's one thing that's been on my checklist to kind of do and actually probably try to even uh, spread around. So Dr. Morris, if you're interested later on, you know what I'm saying? I only got another year and a half. We can, we can go on it with it. <laughs> You're my type of periodontist. You go get it. You're aggressive. You're confident. Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> but yeah, so that was my experience with COVID. That's awesome. Smart man, smart man. It's just, it's been such a whirlwind in the past. How long has it been? Nine months since this pandemic yes. came. And I think everyone just trying to navigate getting through it and thinking about being safe, making sure your family is safe, coming home and just disinfecting everything. It's just, it's so crazy. And I hope one day we can get past this. I just, people just need to act right. Um, But we know how that's going. So, Um, so the burning question that I know some of our listeners have is what advice would you give um, an aspiring periodontist? Uh, I guess I'll do this one first. Um, but um, 
what I'll tell aspiring periodontists is that perio is here to stay. It's not a dying specialty. I mean, because I know y'all probably hear like rumors like, oh, endo's dying out or process dying out. Impossible. Like <laughs> each one of these, there is no way too much in their specialty to die out. This is impossible. But uh, perio is such a great um, profession to be in. Not only do like my experience with the people that I know in Perio, like they lead almost everything in research. Like it is crazy on the regenerative, regenerative materials, implants, um, saving teeth. I mean, all of the above, some of the top researchers in the world are all periodontics. It is like ridiculous. Um, the problem solving skills that you attain that everybody needs to um, maintain a patient pretty much has to go through a periodontist. That's why when you were in school and things like that, you have to do a periodontal charting to see if the, yeah, first. That's like the number thing. <laughs> yeah. Even yeah. if they pay or, or infection, is this tooth worth saving? That's what they're going to ask you. Can you please do an evaluation? You know what I mean? So you are one of the um, bases of dentistry. Like you're, on, you're, on, you're the rock in a sense. And they can't do anything without the rock. So with that being said, like, it's a great profession to be in. You will always be needed. And it's, and it's really hard to corporatize, I feel, a periodontist in a sense right now. Um, it's good to be like, like, like what she's doing, like the traveling periodontist, like that's about the only way they can use you in like a corporate style office. And the way she's doing is way better. Like it's, it's ridiculous. But that's what I would tell uh, a student. And I would tell them to um, do as many externships as you can. Um, try to stay like around the perio residence. See if there's a project that you can get in on, even just as like a research assistant. Um, and if you can help, you know, ask to be on the byline, um, just so you can maybe even have a publication before you even go to dental school, I mean, excuse me, go to residency, um, work on, don't lose yourself in perio, kind of. Like, don't go down the perio rabbit hole where all you see is perio. Make sure that you're still staying um, fast in what's going on in endodontics, what's going on in pros. So, you know, recently, I don't know if it's like FOMO or fear of missing out or something, but for the past couple of years, I've just really been obsessing about the restorative side of dentistry and, you know, um, in corporation with um, perio as well. So I see these veneer cases that are awesome, but then I look at the gingival margins and they're horrible. And I see all this inflammation and impingement on the biologic width. And I'm like, dude, I can do that from beginning to end, you know? So that is my, you know, newfound goal that I have now. So don't lose, like he said, we are the rock. And you can have these beautiful veneers and they look awesome when you're still in Dr. What's his name? Uh, Dr. Mr. C Dr. Columbia down there, who's, you know, rocking it out with all the rap rappers and everything. Everything could be great right then and there, but in about three months, that biologic width is going to flare up and cause issues, and we know how to prevent that. So, like, I love having that knowledge, and anyone who's looking to be a periodontist know that you are the rock, you are the center, but still 
get yourself well, 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 vast knowledge when it comes to all aspects of dentistry. Um, being imperial, it was, I was telling my friend the other day, I feel like I've been in imperial prison because I'm learning all these things about endo now. And I was like, wow, <laughs> that's amazing. Like that wave one gold is like, oh, that's fire. Like what? I was like, I felt like I just got out and it was like digital versus analog. I was like, oh my gosh, that's what we can do now. And so <laughs> I thought I thought Mola Endo was supposed to take three hours. <laughs> no, and they're like, I was like, okay. all right, all right. Well, this is what you know. This is what I need to learn. So, um, but no, just keep it going. You're gonna get in if it's meant to be, and it is meant to be. And and don't you know? Uh, also, go to an AEGD. You're going to learn so much. I did not. Okay, and so, um, but being in my training with the AEGD residents, like they learn so much and we learn so much from them, GPR, whatever it takes, do those residencies. Um, and it's okay. Also, it's okay if you've been out of dental school for three, four, five years. If you want to specialize, do it. Go for it. Find, find the residency program that fits your budget and do it because you won't regret it. So long story short just do it it's a great it's a great it's a great specialty oh no we we definitely appreciate all of that advice that you um both gave you know so let's go ahead and give it up for our guests all right (laughs) got all my notes together (laughs) right (laughs) we have a whole bunch sticky notes notes everything um and i'm sure you know our listeners will Greatly appreciate all of the um, knowledge and information that you both have shared um, today. Um, are there any closing remarks, you know, uh, or even shouting out your Instagram on where people can find you? Okay. Um, so you can find me on Instagram at, at uh, dr. Period, T is in Tiger, A M. Um, period DDS Dr. Tam DDS with periods in between and closing remarks um, for those aspiring periodontists just stay focused you're gonna get it have an amazing personal statement and um, it's a marathon but you'll get it and you'll get through it um, my professional um Instagram. I'm still working on it. I only have like a few cases on there right now, but it's Afro at Afro Perio, A-F-R-O-P-E-R-I-O. Okay. And my personal one is at, I'm not going to say it. It's kind of weird. I'll just put that on there. You can, y'all can put that down for somebody. <laughs> it's kind of, it's the SIP's finest, but you know, Mississippi. But anyway, um, <laughs> but um, my closing remarks um, for the people aspiring to be is like, we don't see too many, I didn't even know it was that many, you know, black paradigms around. We didn't have one in Mississippi. I'll be the first black paradigms in the state of Mississippi when I get back. So like, it's like, I haven't, I've never seen another black paradigms. Like I've only seen two now. Like I've seen Dr. Morris here <laughs> and I seen one of my frat brothers at Meharry when uh, <laughs> we had the hundred uh, year Kappa uh, chapter uh, reunion when I was at Meharry. Um, but, um, other than that, 
um, it's it's a great profession. Um, it's a dream to be one. If you love surgery and you love to make it home to your family, do it. Um, it's, it's definitely rewarding. Um, you'd be surprised with everything that we do in just our profession as far as surgery, surgery wise. It's like ridiculous. I didn't even know we did all this until I got into residency. Um, so, but uh, God bless you. Stay positive. Get out of school. Uh, if, you, if you're worried about residency, you're not making a great, get out of school first. Okay. That's the number one thing. Look, D's make DMDs and BDSs. Okay. Just get out. <laughs> I'm not saying aspire to do that, but you got to do what you need to do to get out first and then worry about residency. Okay. But if you're doing well, and you have the time to do it. It's expensive. It's expensive to apply. Um, Dr. Morris had a different route. I did match. Match was very expensive. Um, I actually applied twice. Okay, my first year, I didn't get out. I only had enough money to apply to two schools. And I missed one school by one spot. That everybody accepted them as their number one. I was on, I was number four on the list. So I didn't get in. But I did my AGD, which God, God had a plan for me. Did great, you know what I mean? I learned a ton on restoring everything. So I came in with that advantage. The next time I came with that AG, I got my number one off top. So, and I only applied to five schools and I got four interviews. Okay. So, but it was a lot of money, a lot of money. So make sure your funds are right. I borrow money from my grandmama. Look, <laughs> I borrow money from my fans, my, my now wife, you know, and I just took all my credit cards and, and personally, like it probably wasn't the greatest financial thing to do, but I maxed out my credit cards, but I knew it was a dream that I wanted to do. Um, so, and it got it done and now I can face the future. So just, just try your best, follow your dreams, you know, Keep God first and can't no door closed for you. So. That was awesome. Absolutely. Um, thank you again for uh, being on the show. We definitely appreciate you. Um, let's go ahead and let's wrap things up. Uh, and transition into Taylor's takeaways. And today I'd like to discuss self-compassion. Uh, Self-compassion involves acting the same way towards yourself when you are having a difficult time, failing, or even notice something that you don't like about yourself. Instead of just ignoring your pain, stop, ask yourself, you know, this is really difficult right now. How can I comfort and care for myself in this moment? So um, here are a few uh, self-compassion uh, guided exercises um, that we can implement in our daily lives. So one, how would you treat a friend? That's how you should treat yourself. So um, how do you think things might change if you responded to yourself in the same way you typically respond to a close friend when he or she is suffering? Um, I know it's easier said than done, but, you know, try looking in the mirror. Say those same things that you would say to a friend out loud. Yes, out loud, you know, not just, oh, I'm thinking it in my head. Say it out loud, you know, um, those same words uh, so that you can then um, feel those same feelings that uh, you would if you were telling um, a close friend of yours. The second one is exploring self-compassion through writing. Um, everybody has something about themselves that they don't like, you know, uh, something that causes them to feel sh to feel shame, uh, to feel insecure, um, or something that even makes you not feel good enough. 
So keeping a daily journal in which you process the difficult events in your day-to-day life um, through the lens of self-compassion, that can both enhance you mentally and physically um, in order to have an overall better well-being. The last exercise, change how we motivate ourselves. Uh, Remember that if you really want to motivate yourself, love is more powerful than fear. And with that in mind, we have to reframe our inner dialogue so that it is more encouraging and supportive. So sometimes we may use self-criticism as a motivator, right? You know, why do we think being hard on ourselves will help us change? So ask yourself that. Um, We need to get in touch with the emotional pain that our self-criticism causes and instead give ourselves compassion. So we extend grace to other people, but we don't extend it enough to ourselves. So just remember to give yourself some more self-compassion. Come on, Tay. That felt like a sermon. Right. (laughs) Oh, I'm still learning this lesson every single day. (laughs) Very needed. Very needed. Very needed. That was great. Um, So I saw something really cool on the internet, Um, you know, it's been floating around, but did you know that you can watch 25 holiday movies in 25 days and get a whopping $2,500 to do so? Yes. And it's legit, y'all. It's legit. Reviews.org is opening the opportunity to those up for the challenge. And in my opinion, this may be the easiest job ever created. Who doesn't want to relax and enjoy a holiday themed movie? They give you a little list you can watch and then you go from there and you have to apply though. You have to apply on reviews.org and you have to be 18 years old and a legal resident of the United States. So I'm definitely going to apply. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're in quarantine. What else? We don't well, have anything better to do, you know? Dollars. <laughs> Come on. Right. <laughs> I got to go get it. I got to do it. See? Yeah. <laughs> Reviews.org. I'm going to go crazy. But yeah. <laughs> right. If you like what you hear, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Pod for more updates on the show and be sure to give us a shout out. Want to ask us questions or give suggestions on topics that you'd like to hear? Then email us at theocclusaltablepodcast at gmail.com. We love to hear feedback from our listeners. So don't forget to leave a thumbs up, five stars, and a review on whichever platform you're listening on. Well, that's all we have for today. So until next time, this is The The Occlusal Table. Table.